Welcome to the Good Shepherd Church podcast. Good Shepherd is a gospel-centered church plant in Southeast Lakeland, Florida, and our vision is to join God's mission to see a glorious city filled with disciples of Jesus who are secure as children of God, connected as the family of God, and engaged as stewards of God's love to their neighbors and beyond. Here you will find sermons and other resources to help root and equip you in your true identity in Christ. We're glad you're here. Again, thank you for being here. If you're in person, uh, thank you for being here. If you're online with us now or watching later, um, again, I know this is an odd time, but um, we're thankful for multiple ways to continue to, to meet together. Um, because if we've learned anything from the past few months, it's that we need it. Uh, we need each other. We need to be gathered around his word. So I'm glad to be here in person with you today. Let me make sure I'm on. Okay. Um, so if you are a child in the room and, um, and you're in public school, you have a very exciting thing happening tomorrow. If you are a teacher in the room, uh, or online, you have a very potentially exciting, depending on how you feel about that, thing happening tomorrow is we have a first day of school coming up. And, uh, and so I want to make sure nobody let me forget to pray uh, before we close for teachers and students as we go back to school. Um, but in line with that, I've been thinking about the summer and sort of, you know, reflecting on everything that we've uh, gotten to do that even having the extended time away from school campus has allowed us to, to make some neat memories over the summer. And the biggest, kind of the capstone memory that we had was we went to the beach. And like any kid ever has, you know that space, there's about 40 feet off of the water, there is the sandbar, right? And so you've got the sandbar and this really deep set of section of water in between the sand and the sandbar and the sandbar is this really beautiful like you know three to four foot so every kid can stand once they get out there it's a great you're in the middle of the ocean you feel like the water the waves kind of rise back up um, because of how waves work and the shallowness of the water and all that stuff and so you get like you can catch these really amazing waves even though you're way away from the shore the sandbar's great and it was, it was always fun. The first thing, just about every day when we would go down to the beach, my kids, the first thing they would say is, can we go to the sandbar? Can we go to the sandbar now? How about now? And we're like, no, you know, you got 15 minutes. Let the sunscreen go in. Just get yourself a, a minute. Go play in the sand. Go play on the shore, whatever. And they would continue to ask, dad, dad, when can we go? When can we go? And if I were to say, well, just go. Just go, you know, swim your little self out there. They would have looked back at me and said, what do you mean? Like, you got to go with us to the sandbar. Why? Because, well, let's just list off the scary things in the ocean. You got the sharks, and you got the stingrays, uh, you know, and you got the jellyfish. Those things hurt a lot. And you've got just this unknown chasm of deep water that who knows what kind of coral or fish or anything could eat my toes off. There's, there's lots of scary things in between the shore and the sandbar. But dad, as long as you're there, then you'll protect us from all those things. But without you, we're, we're not going. Isn't it true that right now, as we're sort of on the chasm of going back into regular life in many ways, 
we've got the sandbar that we're like, okay, we just got to get out there. We just got to kind of get back to normal life. Normal life is out there. And then there's this scary depth between where I am now and where normal life is. And that's what we've got to get to. What John is going to be bringing us into today is the truth that we need a father's hand. We need a father's hand to get from the scariness of where we are to the sandbar and through the depths in between. What, what John is going to remind us of is that, listen, our default, if we have learned anything about ourselves in the past four to five months, is that our, is not, our default is not faith. Our default, more often than not, is fear. And that fear comes out in all kinds of ways. It comes out in anger. It comes out in cynicism. It, it comes out in withdrawal of life. It comes out in coping in all kinds of ways just to kind of make myself feel a little bit better. But what God is calling us to, especially in this super unique moment that we're in, is to be an alternate society. Maybe you've heard of the church called that in the past. This is where the rubber meets the road, though. Because when, when everything around us feels like it's falling apart, everyone is looking for where is, where is hope? Where is security? Where is safety? Where is a firm foundation? And this is the opportunity, as with all kinds of crazy things over the course of church history have done, is to draw people to go, those people over there have something that I don't. There is a sureness and assuredness about their life, about their character, about their hope that does not just shift with every bad news story that comes out, that does not shift with the, the latest news about the asteroid or the murder hornets or anything else uh, that you may be hearing about on the news. But there is, a, there is a goodness, like the old hymn says, they will know that we are Christians by our love. Right, and that was penned during a, a turbulent time, 1966 is when that was written. Very similar things happening then as are happening now. And so in the same way as in the 60s, in 2020, they can know we are Christians by our love. So what John has been doing with us in, in the past four to six weeks is he keeps hammering home this, these couple of main points. One of those main points he's been hammering home is that to be a true Christian means that love comes out of you. Now today, he's just like he's been doing, he's recycling that idea, but he's taking and adding a new idea to it. Um, he's, he's talking not only about sort of the truth that Christians are loving, but he's talking about how does that actually work? What, what's the dynamic? By what mechanism, by what way does that happen that I go from darkness to light and then somehow that light comes out of me in love? Uh, and so we're going to read 1 John 4, verses 7 through 21 together today. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God, because God is love. Oh, I'm sorry. Has been born of God and knows God. Sorry, I jumped a verse. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, 
but that he has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God's love abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in us. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Key verse. We're coming back to that. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this is the commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. And so, Spirit of the risen Christ, we need your eyes to see. We need your ears to hear. We need your heart to participate in the beauty of what it looks like to follow you in this world and in this life. And so, I pray that you would help us. I pray that you would take this from just (laughs) some repetitive verses to something that is magnetic to us, that we can't get enough of it, that it would be like honey, sweeter than the honeycomb, that it would be like, uh, like a refreshing river washing over us. These are ways that the Psalms describe what the Word of God is, and so we ask that it would not just be a description from long ago, but it would be a reality right now. Do that for your glory, we pray in Christ. Amen. So this morning, messed it up. This afternoon, not this morning. Oh man, still getting used to that one. Um, we're going to kind of answer two main questions. The, the first is this, and you can see these up here. The first is this, where does love come from? Right, the first question we're going to answer that's very clear from the text, because it says it over and over and over again, where does love come from? And then secondly, how is this love blocked? And not only how is it blocked, but how is it unblocked? How is it fixed so that the love of God cannot just flow into us and then hit like the Dead Sea and just stick inside of us, but can actually flow out into the way we love one another? So let's jump right in. Where does love come from? Um, I'm going to try something new just to help with the kids that we have in here. I'm going to throw the main verse that we're talking about up on the screen. And then hopefully for those of you that are visual learners, that'll help you to track along a little bit more. So let's put the first verse up here. 1 John 4, 7, and 8. John jumps right out of the gate. And you probably have heard this verse before, or at least those three words. God is love. Now, here's the thing about those three words. 
you can make those three words say a whole lot of stuff. Not all of it is accurate. Not all of it is biblical. And so we want to make sure we are describing, using the scripture to help us describe who this God actually is. So triune love. You see the work of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit within the first five verses. Um, So another way to say that God is love, as you have it right here, is to say that he's triune. There's this really helpful book um, by this guy named Michael Reeves called Delighting in the Trinity. And this is how he opens his book, using these three words that we just said. God is love. Those three words could hardly be more bouncy. They seem lively, lovely, and as warm as a crackling fire. But God is a trinity. No, hardly the same effect. That just sounds cold and stodgy. All quite understandable, but the aim of this book is to stop the madness. Yes, the Trinity can be presented as a fusty and irrelevant dogma. How's that for a word, fusty? But the truth is that God is love because God is a Trinity. Now let's work that out for a minute. There, we can talk more in depth later on if you'd like, but here's the basic principle. If God is not triune, if God is not three persons in one being, same in substance, equal in power and glory, if the Godhead is not Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, then inherently, in who he is, not including anyone else in the world, he cannot be love. It would be impossible to say that Allah is love, because Allah is only one and only one. It would be impossible to say that any... Any, um, any other God who is only one in and of himself can be described as love. They can be described as a lot of other things, as fearsome, as just, as all kinds of things. But to describe them as love means that inherently in themselves, they are relational. Because what is love but relationship one to another? And what we know about the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit described all the way back in Genesis 1 as you see Father, Son, and Spirit working together in the creation of the universe. What do we see about those three persons of the Trinity? They existed way before that. In fact, they've always existed and will always exist. My kids have asked me, who made God? And the answer is, nobody. God didn't even make God. God is. He says, I am. I always have been. So if, if he is not relational in nature, then it would, not, it would be impossible for John to say God is love. It would also be impossible to say that made in his image, we have this inherent capacity as human beings for loving one another and for being loved by one another. But if it's true that he is three in one, if it's true that he has enjoyed perfect relationship with himself from all eternity past, and all he's done in redemption, in both creation and redemption, is opening up his triune self and bringing others into the party. If that's what this is all about, then that also says something very deeply about who we are. It means that in the same way that God is love, so, as his image bears, so do we have a natural, innate capacity for it. We need it. We need to give it. 
we need to receive it. Exhibit A, one word, quarantine. You put people behind masks in a space by themselves where they can't be with one another for a long period of time, what happens? They go crazy. They go nuts. Some of you have probably felt nuts. That's okay, I have too. But there's, there's a reason for that. One of those reasons, at least, is that we are not made to be alone in a box by ourselves all the time. However fancy or amazing or if it has a pool or whatever, no human should just live in a box by themselves all the time. It is a core human capacity that because God is love, so are we. Now, let's think about, jump to verse 12 with me. You can see verse 12 up on the screen. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us. And his love, get this, his love is perfected in us. That is a wacky statement. That, that you know, we breeze by these things. But let's pause for a minute and consider what that's actually saying. That's saying that God's love in and of itself is not complete until it has gone through you into someone else. What a crazy statement that is. Now, um, you know, we don't want to, to get into any kind of weirdness where we would say that uh, Father, Son, and Spirit are not perfectly com- complete in and of themselves as if they would need to create or redeem any of us in order to sort of like you complete me, Jerry Maguire kind of thing. We're not saying that. Here's what we are saying, and here's what John is saying. Think of it like this. I love my kids just because I love my kids, right? You don't have to tell me to love my kids. Um, You don't have to describe to me what love looks like with my kids. Uh, There is something inherent in me that because they are from me, they were a part of me, they are a part of me, that I love them. In the same way, God, just because he loves us, so he loves us. But, continue on that trail of thought. When, when you as a parent, those of you who are parents, have great pleasure is when you watch your children begin to live, love, as we're talking about here, in the same way that you do. That they are following your example. That the, the way that they respect someone else is how you've been teaching them to. The, the way that they honor someone else, even a brother or a sister, is like you have taught them to. There is something about watching that happen outside of yourself that you're like, that, that's it. That's what this is about. And so in the same way, God's, as our love is perfected, as we watch it in our children, as they grow up and live more into who they are as both a member of our family and a member of God's family, So in the same way, the father rubs off on his kids. The heavenly father rubs off on his kids. And so you you may remember the Rodney Atkins song, Watching You. You remember this? This is an oldie but a goodie country song. I've been watching you. Dad, ain't that cool. I'm tempted to sing it. I'm your buckaroo. I want to be like you and eat all my food and grow as tall as you are. We like fixing things and holding mama's hand. 
Yeah, we're just alike, hey, ain't we, Dad? I want to do everything you do, so I've been watching you. And there is this idea that John is getting after, that as our Heavenly Father rubs off more and more on us, so we begin to love as he does. So are, are you bearing your Father's resemblance right now? Do you see that working itself out? Maybe. Maybe you, there would be some real ways where you've seen, in my life, I'm loving in unique ways, supernatural ways that I never, I'm, I'm, I'm soft towards people that I didn't used to be. I don't hold grudges nearly as long as I used to. I'm able to forgive even when someone hasn't said that they're sorry. Maybe you would say that's true, but there are probably also some other places in your life where you may be saying, my love stinks. In fact, it's awful. In fact, especially as I've been stuck with these same people in the same house for the same period of time the past four months. In fact, my love is pretty rotten. Verse 18, how is our love blocked? What, what would be a reason why you may struggle with love? Why you may struggle with interpersonal relationship? 418, there is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. There's the key verse. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So we could say that the block of love, at least one of them, a major one, is fear. Okay? So let's, let's think along those lines for a minute. Why would a, the block of love be fear. It could be said that we are naturally a very insecure people. And that's not, that's not saying anything about anyone in this room. That is saying, on the whole, we are an insecure people. We, we come into this world needy. We come into this world needing love, needing affirmation, needing to be secured, needing to be affirmed, needing to be taken care of. And the jump here, if we look at this last verse, whoever fears has not been perfected in love. What is the specific fear that it's talking about? Um, if you look just a few, actually one verse earlier, verse 17, it says this, by this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence on the day of judgment. So this is specifically talking about fear of condemnation. Okay, now we may be able to make the argument that for Christian people, for those who know God, like, you know, in the South we have the phrase, God-fearing people, you can, you can kind of get that connection that, okay, I can see how, you know, naturally I learn about God, I learn of his holiness, I learn how majestic and, and perfect he is, and then I look at myself and I say, oh gosh, I'm so far distant and far removed from that perfection and that love that he calls me to. But how about just your rank and file person? Can we apply this? Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Can we apply that to just the people driving right outside here right now, whether they be Christians or whether they not be? Romans 1 says yes. Look at Romans 1 verses 18 through 20 with me. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. 
For what can be known about God is plain to them. This is talking about everybody because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. So can we make the connection to say that in some sense, each one of us is born into a world where we are automatically afraid of God's judgment. Romans 1 would say, yes, we all are without excuse. We all have some sense deep inside of us, some sense that there is something greater than me out there. There, there must be something that has woven this world together because there's too much beauty. There's too much connectivity. There's too much that just works. I don't understand how it would work unless there is some sort of God. Prove it, you say. That's a fair thing. Shame. We talked about shame probably a month ago, bringing it back up again. Why do we naturally feel ashamed when we do things, even when we're not caught? Now, we may not all feel the same amount of shame about the same types of things, but why do we all, in some sense, way before I was a Christian, I felt ashamed of stuff that I did. I felt ashamed of all kinds of things that I did. What was that? There is something, some part of each one of us that knows, you know, you may call it your conscience. You may call it Jiminy Cricket. You, whatever that thing is inside of there, there is something inside of us that is essentially testifying against us and saying, you're not what you're supposed to be. And you can feel this all the way from age six, age eight, age 10, age 12, from very early on, there can be this sense in you that you are not what you're supposed to be. You're not matching up. You're not good enough. You may hear and be remembering times in your life. Maybe it was uh, sitting, you know, getting picked last for kickball. You're not good enough. Maybe it was uh, doing something in secret, never to be found out, but something inside of you just kept turning over and over and over again. And what does Romans 1 say we do with it? Shh, suppress, suppress. Just, just I'm going to cope. I'm going to think about something else. I'm going to distract myself with some TV. I'm going to go on and do some other things. Whatever keeps my mind busy, whatever keeps me from thinking about that chirping sense that I'm not good enough. That chirping sense that I don't deserve it. Every one of us feels shame. And so we may naturally know, we have some sense that there's too much beauty in this world. God must be love, right? A, 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 a pure part of his being must be loving, but or else he wouldn't have so much fun making this world. But that's not the only thing that God is. And here's where we can kind of balance the scale a little bit and make sure we're not getting wonky theologically. Because not only is God love in 1 John, in 1 John 1, God is also light. In Hebrews 12, God is also a consuming fire. And we know both of these things to be true. God is both holy, a consuming fire, and he is one who draws near, even as fiery as he is. John Stott says it like this. Far from condoning sin... This would be kind of the soft version of, you know, God's love, so he just kind of wipes sin under the rug and just bring it on in for a group hug. No, John Stott says this. 
far from condoning sin, his love has found a way to expose it because he is light and to consume it because he is fire without destroying the sinner, but rather saving him. That's it. That's it. Yes, God is love. Yes, God is light. How do you reconcile those two things that seem so irreconcilable? Verse 17. It is right to fear the judgment of God. It is right to consider even in a young four, six, eight-year-old sitting in your bed at night, you may have had one of these moments where you think, there's going to be a day where I'm going to stand before God. And I'm going, every judge of the secrets of the hearts of men is going to peel away every secret that I have. He is going to see everything that I have ever done. He's going to see everything I've left undone. He's going to see everything that I have let no one else in, that only I was around when it happened. It's right for us to have a conception of that, for us to have even a mental picture of what that will be like. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence when that day comes. To think about that day begin, does, in some sense, make us tremble in our boots, but there's this, there's this really neat phrase. This is my favorite phrase of the whole 14 or whatever verses that we just read. Verse 17, you can see it underlined there. As he is, so also are we. We could breeze right past that thing and totally miss what it's saying. Here's what John is saying. You want to have security? You want to be freed to love even in the face when you feel like you're not good enough? Even when you feel like you don't deserve the love that's coming back at you, do you want to be free from the shame and the guilt and the condemnation that you feel? Can we put that one back up there? Here's how you do it. Because in Christ, as he is, so also are we. What does that mean? Jesus comes from heaven to earth and lives a perfect life. Dying on the cross he, in a sense, is trading places with us. And so the condemnation that we rightly deserve, that even from a young age we may have felt, I'm not good enough, I'm not good enough. I can't even bear the thought of being alone with myself to consider the things that I have done. He says, you're right. You're right. You're not good enough. And so I'm going to send Christ, and he's going to atone to be the propitiation, verse 10 says, for your sins. That just means he's going to clean you up. He's going to clean you up. He's going to take away every debt that you owe. He's going to pay off every one of your spiritual credit cards that has been overrun with debt. And then it says, if you read on in, so speaking of Revelation, if you read on in Revelation, who is going to be the just judge? Who is going to be standing there unveiling all of our secrets? Jesus himself the one who walked in our shoes, the one who atoned for our sins, the one who rose again and is seated at the right hand of the Father and will return to judge the living and the dead. He is the one who we will stand in front of. And with all of our self-exposed, he will ask, why should I let you in to heaven? And this is all you have to do. Your wife. 
It's not the list of great things you did. It's not how many times you repented. It's not how often you prayed or how often you read your Bible. You, Jesus, are the reason I have right standing before the Father. And that's it. And if that's true, then that begins to free me from any kind of fear that I may have. Because what what does it say? Perfect love casts out fear. It casts it away. And so a fear of approval that you may have, you no longer have to look to other people to say, well done, great job, you did it. That might be great every now and again, just to maybe that the Lord would use that to keep you on the right track with your calling. But broadly, you don't need any man's approval because you've already got Jesus, who you know you will stand with one day, and he will say, welcome, welcome, well done. You don't have to fear exposure. You don't have to fear exposure for even the grossest thing or the thing you wish that nobody knew or ever knows about you. You can have total confidence telling anyone anything about yourself and be totally secure. The worst thing you can think up in your head and be totally secure. Why? Because you know that there is one standing in heaven who totally approves of you already in Christ. And this even helps our love, right? Because we we are less and less self-consumed, less and less withdrawn because we can't even handle ourselves. The blinders begin to come off and we we begin to think well about other people because we're not so focused right here. So you may have uh, had somebody in your life, it's a gift if you have, uh, you may have had someone in your life who you just knew, you just knew that they were totally for you. That there was, there is something about that person's character that you knew there was nothing that you could do that could ever take their love away from you. That's a gift if you've ever had that. Uh, my granddad, who just passed away a few months ago, was one of those for me. Right, he was one for me that there was not a day. I, I found some um, some messages, and I will never delete them from my phone. Of you know, four years ago, three years ago, two years ago, and they all go about the same way. Jeremy, I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. And there's there's something about that kind of security that uh, that man free in Christ, knowing where he was headed, that he could spend his days not so busy toiling inside here, making sure he was okay, he could love somebody else. You could also be that kind of person who could be an unconditional lover, one to another, who could be one of those people that down the line for your friends, for your family, for your spouse, for your children, whoever that is, that what a gift to say, my mom, my dad, my friend from church, my children's ministry leader, whoever that was, I knew they were so for me. They'd be honest with me. They'd get on to me, but it didn't change the fact that I knew they were for me. That's the power to love, the securing power to love that the gospel gives. Would we drink deeply of it so that we can have a shot at doing the same? Let's pray. So, Father, we need securing. Uh, We need securing because our hearts are looking for it all over the place. 
we're ashamed at the way maybe even we've handled ourselves today. Uh, we could definitely find something within the past week that we wish we hadn't done. You see all. And even as your eyes scan over the entire world, seeing every creature that you have made, knowing everything outside and within, you look at your people who are safe in Christ and you delight. We can go home right now and totally blow everything and have terrible character and at the end of the night when we lay our head on the pillow you will still look at us and delight how is that because Jesus' love is so securing but would we not take that for granted would we not take this love and pull it all up inside and say wow whew, good thing that's okay for me I can kind of go on and rest easy every night but would this give us the kind of motivation in the same way that we have been loved? It would be unnatural if we didn't love in the same way. It would mean that something is blocked, something is wrong with our love. And so if there are any blocks for us, if there's any shame, if there's any sin that is hindering us, that's hindering our prayer life, that's hindering our Bible reading, that's hindering our love, would we find you and confess it? we find somebody else and confess it so that it would no longer hinder us and it would no longer hinder our love. We want to delight in you and we want to be a delight to others. Do this by your Spirit's power. We pray in Christ. Amen.